0: I think our society is dying of something because we're so wrapped up in
1: consumption and wanting more and wanting more. Someone said to me years ago that in a city, the environment is an invisible problem. The environment used to be seen as something out there, something outside of the city, nature. Um, What we're starting to realize now is that everything we do every day, every material that we use has an environmental impact.
2: I think climate change as an issue is going to be solved by communities.
3: I'm John Lewis, and you're listening to 360 Degree City, a podcast where we talk to people who are working to make cities better. Our hope is that after each episode, you'll start to see your own city from a slightly different angle. 360 Degrees City is brought to you by the team at Intelligent Futures. We're a team of versatile urban problem solvers, and our aim is to figure out better ways of living together. The other week, our team at Intelligent Futures set up at Alberta Ecotrust's fourth annual environmental gathering. The gathering brings together people with a variety of perspectives, including environmental nonprofits, consulting firms, youth, artists, oil and gas companies, and government representatives. It was a great opportunity for us to build on our work in community sustainability and environmental master plans and learn what other folks are doing to build a greener world for all of us. While at the gathering, we did a couple of things. We led a workshop that explored how user experience mapping can be used as a tool to address challenges of waste in the workplace. But we also asked participants to share their thoughts on some ideas that we posed over the course of the gathering. Some people we interviewed included... I'm Darren Patenode, I'm from Buffalo Lake
4: Métis Settlement. I'm the Climate Monitoring Coordinator for the Métis Settlements General Council.
1: Hi, my name is Pat Letizia. I'm the Executive Director of the Alberta Ecotrust Foundation.
5: My name is Amona Datiya and I'm the CEO and founder of Fair Community.
1: My name is
2: Katrina Wright and I am actually running in the federal election as the Green Party candidate for Calgary Rocky Ridge. I'm Suzanne. I'm a PhD student at the University of Calgary in the Department of Geography and um, my my research is on climate change decision making.
4: My name is Derek Leahy. I'm the director of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, which is a central Alberta based project that empowers agriculture producers with climate solutions.
3: This event covered a wide range of topics relating to the environment, especially in the context of Alberta. We were particularly curious to hear people's perspectives about the relationship between urbanization, environmental protection and economics. We asked attendees to answer a few different questions. We asked, in Alberta, is a healthy economy and a healthy environment mutually exclusive? An elder said, how can we be healthy if the land is unhealthy? So
4: that's, that's basically what we need to start focusing on as Indigenous people is, and really absorb and digest those words is like, how can we be healthy yeah. if the land is unhealthy? What does that entail? What does that mean for our mental, spiritual, emotional, and physical health?
6: First of all, we need to define what health means and what prosperity means. This is a really big issue. So does prosperity mean that you have two vehicles or four garages, two homes, um, or does prosperity mean health and wellness? So first, it's personal how you define prosperity. So once you decide what prosperity means to you, what does having a healthy economy mean to you? And if having a healthy economy means that you are going to continue to destroy the land, the water, and the air, then you may be very rich, but you'll be very sick.
4: I would describe a healthy economy as an economy that's diversified and that doesn't rely on one single sector. And with all the innovation that has happened and the awareness about what people can do with regards to environmental protection and fighting climate change, I think there's a big opportunity to combine both uh, economic prosperity and environmental protection. So, for example, is to have um, uh, people retrofitting buildings so that they are more, they are better insulated and um, more comfortable. That means that people live in uh, houses in which it's healthier to live in. And as well, you create jobs with all those workers that will work on retrofitting these buildings. So that's one of the many examples of making the most of the incredible labor force we have in the province that can adapt to uh, new economic opportunities while protecting the environment through renewable energy uh, transportation, low carbon industry.
3: We asked, do cities with ambitious environmental targets like zero waste or 100% renewable make you feel inspired or skeptical?
0: I think it's inspired. I think we need to lead the way. I think we need to be ambitious with our goals and really take serious action to uh, reduce uh, and just Basically, cut down our environmental footprint, or look at circular economy, and and cities are the best place to begin that um, that very hard and challenging action. But they need to to pave the way for others.
1: What I've learned in working a lot on climate communications and environmental communications in the last year or so is that people often don't understand these words, and so. Uh, people in the industry, zero waste is a good example. In the building industry, it means, means, means a lot. It makes a lot of sense. It's a, that, that jargon is incorporated in everything we do. But what does zero waste mean to the average citizen? They, Everybody has waste. They don't understand that. They they understand recycling, but they don't understand a reduction. Nice. And so I think that the, the terminology is just too jargony and that we and also what I've learned is people are very skeptical of things that are absolute like 100% or zero and so what's our best effort gonna get us to and what does that effort look like I did some research years ago on communicating around um, alternative transportation the number one reason that people don't take the bus is because they don't know how they don't know how much it costs they don't know where the bus in their stop in their neighborhood Uh, where that bus will get them in relation to where they're going, if it's work or or somewhere else. And so the the barriers to behaviour change are usually very simple. And we just keep telling people what to do, not how to do it. I think the city should absolutely eliminate the word recycling. I think that's old school, the three R's. I think that we do have a waste problem all over the world. We have to buy less, we have to make less, and we have to accumulate less. Maybe, maybe waste isn't even the right frame to use, I'm not sure, but i'm I'm really confident that absolute words like zero and hundred percent aren't effective because people feel i can't I can't do it all the time, so maybe I, sh- I shouldn't bother.
3: People filled in the blank to this question. Rapid urbanization will be bad for the planet unless
5: I actually think that rapid urbanization is actually a positive thing. I think our issue is how we urbanize, what quality of infrastructure are we building, how are we actually developing our cities, and what do communities actually look like once we start growing them. Can we actually build real estate and infrastructure to be forward thinking. And instead of putting Band-Aid solutions of we just need to build zero carbon buildings, what do zero carbon buildings actually mean? And what is the future of some of our building materials look like? And I think we just need to reframe what urbanization actually means before we add in speed to it, whether it be rapid, slow, medium, that part is kind of irrelevant. I think the, the key part is what does urbanization mean? What does urbanization look like? And how do we bring the right people to the table to make All of this kind of stuff makes some sense.
6: We need to go up instead of out. So I'm giving a presentation this afternoon and we'll be talking about uh, where emissions in Edmonton come from. So this is already within a city context, but when we're looking at it, about 40% of them are associated with buildings. So that's the electricity and the natural gas to, to heat them, but also to power all of the appliances and things that we use. About 40% comes from transportation as well. And the remaining amount is from industry, waste management, all these different things coupled together. So those are the two really big pots of work in, in a city that we're looking at, or how do we reduce those emissions associated with buildings and with transportation.
3: We asked, why is it sometimes challenging to persuade people who live in cities to care about the environment? How can we fix this?
1: Someone said to me years ago that in a city, the environment is an invisible problem. Hmm. We have clean water that comes out of our taps. There's trees everywhere. We take our kids to parks. We feel like we have a really clean environment. Uh, We could get where we're going. Uh, We have a home that keeps us uh, safe and secure. And so... The, for many years, and this has been a big frustration of mine working in this field for you know, several decades, is that the environment used to be seen as something out there, something outside of the city, nature. Um, what we're starting to realize now is that everything we do every day, every material that we use has an environmental impact. Um, the cars we drive, the roads we build, um, the big houses that we live in, all of those things have huge costs, especially from a, an emissions perspective. When you look at the manufacturing of goods um, that we use every day, including the buildings that we live in, huge environmental impacts, plastic sunglasses, we all lose like 15 or 30 pairs of, in our lifetime. The environmental cost of those things is really significant. I think that we're starting to see that um, we're dealing with a very complex system and that We need a systems approach. Because our urban environment
6: interrupts our view of the world and informs our view of the world, so it's very difficult in the urban environment to note (laughs) the moonrise at night. Um, You you don't see the stars in the same way that you see them in the countryside. Uh, You don't have the wildlife um, around your place and the same diversity that you have if you've lived in a rural space. So, I mean, we're all very happy to see those rabbits that are all over, mm-hmm. but if you, if, if, you do, if you have had an experience of living in a small town or in a rural sitting, setting, you know that uh, the diversity that what you see is much, much greater, and that connects you to the land, and you see it every day, you feel it every day. So, we have lost that in the urban environment, and it distances us from our connection to, to the natural world and how all of that informs our decisions regarding climate.
0: So I think uh, we're so used to having so many conveniences in our life and we don't like to think about negative thoughts, we don't like to think about things that might make our life inconvenient or take away from what we already have. So. It's always very hard to say we need to cut down on something or we need to reduce something. It's much more easier to say, well, we want more, we want more. That's kind of our culture is to always want more. So I think that's why it's so hard. And I think the way to change that is we do have to have a significant culture shift in the way we think about things. Um, It's almost like if you had um, a disease or you were dying of something, which which I think our society is dying of something because we're so wrapped up in consumption and wanting more and wanting more, uh, the doctor has to tell you, no, you need to go for this treatment or you need to take this medicine. And unfortunately, taking action on climate change is a little bit like you have to take your medicine. You have to be forced almost to um, to, to behave differently. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that's going to be accepted easily. But I guess for the good of our health, for the good of our um, you know, for pre- being able to prevent our own extinction, we, we have to, it's, there's, there's just no other choice. You can't just unload the burden to another planet or to another society, it's, this, is, this is it. We, we can't really take it anywhere else. So so that's why um, I feel like that's, that's the action we have to take.
3: We asked for ideas about how we might encourage more collective and community-based environmental action in cities dealing with farming communities I think it's really simple just because so many climate solutions do
4: help the farm and on top of that our farming communities are slowly shrinking right now a lot of people are going into cities so uh, we've sort of taken the approach with rural roots is we're trying to build the modern farm and the modern farming community and Solutions or climate solutions are really just tools to get there, and yeah, it's great that it's going to help stop climate change. But at the end of the day is like we want strong, resilient rural communities.
6: I think we could uh, we could engage our creative communities a lot more than what we have. The galleries, the theaters, the uh, music events that are all part of our cultural communities are important, but we we could go much further mm. with that. Uh, so. Um, the Calgary Board of Education's Artists in Residence program, that engages artists in schools, is is a really fine example of what we could do a lot more of, where we bring artists into communities, and those communities say, how do we get, how do we talk about this, how do we talk about migration issues uh, to our young people who are going to move into the world and have to resolve all the housing issues that come from uh, this global migration that's happening, have to resolve all the wildlife issues from endangered species. How do we give them a positive and encouraging voice to go forward? How mm-hmm. do we develop those problem-solving skills? Well, your creative community is very, very good at igniting that conversation, and in uh, finding ways to uh, to continue it after after the actual project.
2: Bringing things to the personal is really important because people will ultimately think about how does this affect me? And if you can sell them on why they should be thinking about it for personal reasons, I think um, you're kind of on the road to getting them to, to engage in collective action. Yeah. So I really think it's important to keep that personal, The um, to communicate why people should care on their own level, how it affects them personally, whether it's because of their health, and uh, it'll protect their health, it'll protect their their property, and you know, uh, you know, from like flooding, protection for their property, or whether it's going to affect their kids' health. I think that's really important. Um, in terms of collective action, I think climate change as an issue is going to be solved by communities.
1: There's a tendency, especially with small organizations or non-profit or charitable to be trying to reach the public and that's really difficult and so I think that uh, a more collective approach where we're looking at the social and economic um, issues in relation to the environment is really important. I think some groups are getting much better at doing that. Climate change is a good example. It's always been perceived as an environmental problem but it's really a social problem. Um, it. it Creates significant uh, social problems, economic problems for people in the south, in the in developing countries. Uh, the planet's going to survive; it's just going to keep on going on. And what's at risk really is life on the planet. And so, um, there's been a tendency to focus on wildlife and non-human species, but I think making the connection to the social needs of communities, that sense of belonging. Um, All of those things are really important and so the more we work together, um, taking a kind of a multilateral approach versus just a straight line approach forward is going to make a big difference.
3: Hearing from some attendees at the environmental gathering really inspired our team at Intelligent Futures. We all face complex and urgent climate and environmental challenges that can seem truly daunting to say the least. It's inspiring and motivating to gather with a ton of smart and passionate people to discuss creative solutions and strategies for these types of challenges. And we hope that you found some inspiration in their words as well. If you are organizing a conference sometime soon and would like 360 Degree City to be there, get in touch with us. We've set up our podcast booth at a couple of conferences now and have really enjoyed connecting with folks about all kinds of issues that affect our communities. Tune in on April 29th to listen to my conversation with Larry Beasley about Vancouverism. We're going to leave you with a poem that was developed and recited at the Ecotrust gathering by Calgary's poet laureate, Sherry D. Wilson, who participated in the event. 360 Degree City is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.
7: Creation. Over destruction. Thank you for all the work you do. It is important work, and the earth thanks you. Trust is a most important word to lead with, as that's how we might change ourselves, the narrative, the big picture, and maybe rewrite it as a blessing, as a prayer, as a Small song bird flies overhead, lands on the east trough in search of a lost grassland. Where am I? There is no dollar value to be free. Standing bow, (laughs) gong. Education is the new buffalo. In this place where teacher becomes student, the wild space is in search of care. Native and true, naturally, I look around me, and what I see is an inclusive, non-judgmental space, past consumerism. There is no duality, just the destabilization of polarity. Grasslands are calling for help, wetlands are calling for help, birds and creatures and insects calling for help. The true whole ecosystem, really, SOS, SOS. We are the tipping point. Let's dial it up. Where am I? There is no dollar value to be free. Standing whole. Gone. Turn up the thermostat, stat. What's the stat? Haven't we noticed? We're living on borrowed time. And now is the moment to stand up together, for real, as peaceful warriors. And when the general public finally understands it's life or death, and this is a pandemic, one out of every two people in Alberta will die of cancer. This is past fear. This is reality. And it's linked to you and what you do die. Sorry, is this too harsh? I've heard it said, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to talk about something difficult if you are respectful and you're genuine, and you genuinely listen. I genuinely respect the earth, and I'm listening. I'm listening to the earth and I'm speaking for them. Standing up. Gone. Our personal problems are part of something larger, and our dreams, and our visions, and our emissions, our footprint, huh? Our feet grew out of those shoes too fast, and we can't get new ones. We are barefoot. And we are not too old to change this. We're not going back. There's only one going forward, and that's doing it differently. Bold, in boots. Truth is important. And it's going to take more than a whisper or a scream or a tear, or guilt, or grief. It's going to take more than a story, or a map, or a punchline. But really, can you hear the wolf call for help? Thank you very much.